day, fellow hoteliers, and welcome to episode 215 of the Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Pete DeMeo, and today, well, today's a special day. We have a guest that you guys are going to all love, and we have a, our guest is going to walk us through if we were a brand new hotel and had to start our marketing from ground zero, or even if you're a hotel and you need to revisit the fundamentals, this is going to be the show for you. So, Allow me to introduce everybody to Emily Daly, the Vice President of Marketing at First Hospitality. Uh, Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Pete. I'm really looking forward to our chat today. Absolutely. I'm definitely learning, looking forward to learning a lot about kind of kicking off the marketing process. You know, so often here at Travel Boom, we work with properties who have already started the process or we're augmenting something that they haven't yet rolled out, but have other things set up. So this is going to be an enlightening conversation for, for me and as well as our listeners, hopefully. Uh, so a lot of stuff's happening at First Hospitality. Tell me all about yeah. what you guys have going on. Yeah, absolutely. So First Hospitality is a national hospitality operations organization. Primarily, we do third-party hotel operations, and it's been around for 37 years. So a lot of people um, may have heard of the company before. But in the last really 10, five or 10 years, the company has really shifted um, their focus. So we had a really long history of um, really complex select service operations. And in the last you know, five to 10 years have really shifted towards more full service, luxury, lifestyle, and, and independent properties. So we've got a really diverse portfolio right now, again, over 50 hotels, um, a nice selection of full service restaurants as well. And that really runs the gamut. So we've seen hotels from development. We've seen hotels that we've come into that have been in a really uh, struggling revenue state and have had to turn them around. We've done ground up development. So we've sort of run the gamut um, with all of that. So it's uh, name a marketing situation with any of these hotels and we've probably seen it and had to address it. So, um, and we're continuing to grow our third party operations. We just took over management of the um, famed uh, Hutton Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. So we're super excited about that one and many more coming up on the horizon. That's very exciting. And you're five years running on the Forbes best midsize company to work for too, right? Yeah, we took a little bit of a respite there. So we um, were looking at relaunching our Top Workplaces uh, program within the organization. Um, so we'll be launching Top Workplaces surveys uh, this year and in the coming years as well. That's awesome. So it's, it's great to have you guys on the show and kind of see what, what happens behind the curtains on the operations side that you know, sometimes we miss out mm -hmm. on the, the marketing side. So, so one of the questions I had for you, and this isn't in the script, so I'm going to catch you off guard here. You have restaurants and you have hotels. <clears throat> every time I talk to a restaurateur, mm -hmm. they say their job is harder. And every time I talk to a hotelier, they say theirs is harder. So <laughs> who has the harder job, hotels or restaurants? Well, I can trump both of that because we do both of those. So it's the hardest for people who are doing all of it, for starters. Um, but I, all I can say is that it really depends on the market and the complexity of the product, regardless of whether it's a restaurant or a hotel. Some of us are blessed with beautiful outlets, and we have really robust marketplaces that we're working in anyway. And you could have a super cool restaurant that's just in a really tough market, and that's going to be super challenging. So it really depends on the skills of your marketer and the situation that your outlet, whether it be a hotel or a restaurant is in. I will say that restaurants always trump hotels. They are always more delicious. 
always. So that that's, is true. They're, they're the most fun for me to work on because um, hotel photos don't make you salivate the way that dessert photos at a high-end restaurant do. That's true. And every time I've fallen asleep at a restaurant, I've been arrested. So it, it goes both <laughs> ways, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so perfect. Well, I know we have a whole bunch of stuff to get into, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. But before we do that, we have one of our favorite sections, which is what we call the newsaroos. So newsaroos is where we look in, dive into a little news item and talk about a few minutes. Uh, before we begin, I always have to sing a little song. So here we go. With hotel marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for newsaroos. And there we go. I love it. I, I had to start singing that years ago and then it stuck and people demand it for some reason. <laughs> But yeah, so today. I approve. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. <laughs> that means I have to keep doing it. Uh, so yeah, so today's news item comes to us from hotelbusiness.com. And the headline is JW Marriott Anaheim rolls out seed to table program. And Emily, I picked this news item specifically for you. One just came out on March 28th, just a couple days ago. But it's a really, really good article. And I like how Hotel Business covered this, but more or less what JW Marriott is doing is they put in, as a gardener, they put in a straight up serious garden on one of their rooftop decks. And they are using that to, their whole seed to table program is used for, you know, their F&B programs, their bar, uh, and throughout the hotel, flowers, everything else is grown locally, organically right there on property, which is a really, really cool amenity because not only is it this hidden garden that they have, they also have the ability for guests to actually get out there and see what's being grown on the property. So I think it's just a fun way to use space that would have gone one unused, but also another way to give back to the community, to our environment and be better stewards of where we are, which I think is what all hotels really should be doing. I agree. And I love this. I'm an avid gardener myself and have been since I was a kid. Um, and while it's not the focus of my career right now, sustainability is a passion of mine. So how we can be, to use your words, a better steward of the environment in which we live. And there's perhaps no better way to do that than to really have to understand the environment that we're operating our hotels in. There have been a lot of hotels and restaurants over the years that have been doing this. I mean, this is really foundationally where hotels and inns started from, right? Back in the day, you were had to be self-sufficient when you were in between major cities and you were the only inn there. You had to create your own food, you had your own chickens, and people came in in their horses and tied up their horses and you were feeding them whatever you were able to grow or barter with other gardeners and farmers from the area. So this is a beautiful representation for, of that. I also love rooftops just generally because it's opportunity to expand revenue potential. It's a really nice marketing opportunity. Um, and you're, gen you're utilizing what would otherwise be dead space. So from an environmental perspective, you're, you're taking that, what would have just been soaking up all of those UV rays and increasing the rates of heating in your hotel or cooling in your hotel. And all of a sudden you've got this space that you can turn a profit on and grow some stuff, which is great. So I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, some of my favorite restaurants, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and shout out to a number of the restaurants there that have been doing similar programs, even when they don't have their own garden spaces. Um, I've had hotels in the past that have been able to do this as well. 
and it's a really great great way to activate the space, assuming that your local legislation allows it. There are actually a lot of rules around serving, particularly greens. Um, I have mm. a friend who's a farmer out in Colorado, and that's a big challenge. Being able to safely harvest, process, and serve those greens, you have to be really careful with what your local reg- uh, local legislation has um, to say about that. So for outlets that can do that. it, I'm all for it. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually never considered the legislation side of it. That could be a, a hurdle. You know, one of the things I really like about this is people are looking for great experiences. And one of the best experiences that you can have from a restaurant's perspective is quality. And you know, Emily, you're obviously a gardener, so you know there's a difference in a tomato that you pull off the vine and eat three seconds later than one that's been sitting in shipping boxes and refrigerated trucks and all that stuff. It's a completely different taste experience. And I think that's one of the, absolutely. You know, it's, it's one of the best ways to use that space to get something of great, great quality. Absolutely. So, and, and they and did you, a really nice job. The images there, they all laid it out in square foot gardening, which is super cool also. So I like that a lot. So are, are you raised bed or are you typically in the ground gardening? I do a little bit of both. So I garden here in South Florida, zone nine, B or 10A, depending on the season. Um, and it's uh, it's tough because we have you in South Carolina do as well if you're a gardener, root knot nematodes, which are unique to our area. Um, they happen all across the country, but they're really pervasive down here because it is so hot. So um, I do a mix of raised beds and in-ground where I can. I have some stuff in bags and pots. Um, I'm, I'm working on cultivating a nice little permaculture space with um, some fruit trees and things like that as well. So raised bed, in ground, really any any way I can do it, I, I will. <laughs> gotcha. So uh, yeah, we're zone, I'm zone eight here in, in Myrtle Beach. So mm-hmm. we don't have quite as long mm-hmm. of a growing season, but you know, I think our summers are probably just as harsh as, as yours are. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's Absolutely. the hardest thing to, that you've had to grow? For, for us, it's, you know, it's, it's odd. Zucchini can be easy some years and other years it's impossible. But uh, yeah, zucchini is a, a tricky one. Honestly, it's just been the adjustment to this zone has been the hardest thing. So things that used to be easy for me, like lettuces, bolt so fast here. Mm-hmm. Um, and things that used to be easy, like tomatoes, all it takes is one tough rain and I split a whole crop of tomatoes and that's really devastating. So um, I'm still getting, I'm still getting the hang of it down here. Like I said, things that used to be super easy. I used to have a beautiful, robust herb garden and it's so hard in the heat of the summer. So, um, it's what used to be easy and we're like, just, Oh, no big deal. I'll grow some tomatoes and some lettuce and call it a day are now like, why won't you succeed? <laughs> yeah, I don't want so any more green it's not beans. like the complexity. Yeah, I like I have some cool stuff growing. I've got um, daikon radish right now. I'm, I'm looking at starting my first crop of kohlrabi. I've got a whole bunch of varieties of um, heirloom tomatoes and some really, really cool radish varieties, which do quite well here. Um, but it's not about the weird varieties that I have a hard time. It's like literally the easiest stuff that I used to just be able to do with my eyes closed that now I have to pay hyper close attention to. And same with me for um, summer squash and zucchini. If I've got a good year of, um, if I'm not netting, I get a good year mm-hmm. of pollination, but I also run the risk of getting all of those uh, yummy, delicious caterpillars coming in and eating everything out. So as soon as I'm like, oh, yeah. three more days and I'll be able to harvest this. I'm like, no, why? 
<laughs> so pest pressure is real, friends. Pest yes. pressure is real. Yes, it is. So that's awesome. So it's 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 great to have another another gardener on the show. But uh, actually, my garden hasn't happened yet this year. We just moved, but I need to get it back in the garden. Uh, and this year, I'm not going to do eight by eight beds, which is a giant mistake, which I had to live with for years. I'm going to do the four by eights because I can never reach the middle without having to. Yeah, steps that's real tough. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, how did you do that? I'm t- I'm short. I'm five four, and so reaching into the middle of an eight foot bed not possible. I'd oh no, it was it was a horrible idea all so. the time. Yeah, <laughs> but but once it was done, it was too late. You know, it's like, oh crap, I'm mm-hmm. going to have a two eight by eight beds for my whole life. So, but yeah, so I get a chance to refix that uh, that mistake. Well, good deal. So this is a great item. If if you're a hotelier and you're looking for something to kind of change up how you know you market and the amenities that you have, this is one of those things to consider. If you're a restaurant, definitely have those fresh herbs. It's a great selling point. And you're doing a little something good for Mother Nature too. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, cool. That's the news today. So the next thing we have, and I'm going to put you on the hot seat for this one. This is 60 seconds to success. And that is when we have 60 seconds on the clock for sharing a tip or a trick that's going to make your hotel's marketing much more effective. Now, typically I'm in the hot seat and I have a timer going on behind me, but because we have a guest today, we're going to have Emily Daly with First Hospitality on the hot seat. And she has just 60 seconds to tell us something that's going to make us a much, much better hotelier, or in her case, possibly restaurateur. And I'm going to see if she's ready to rock and roll. Emily, are you ready to kick it off? I I, I am. I'm as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> All right. Well, you're about to hear the timer start. And when it does, that is your go signal. Only have 60 seconds. So don't sweat too much. But here we go. You ready? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm ready. All right, so I was reminded this week that marketing is still a relatively emerging field, uh, like revenue management was. So my tip is the biggest challenge that most marketers are going to face is getting buy-in, buy-in in the form of support or money or talent. And so I encourage all of their marketers to tap into existing meetings and have 10 or 15 minutes of your revenue meeting dedicated to marketing. All your brains are there. And focus on three things. Reaffirm high-level property goals and upcoming needs past marketing campaign performance and goals like the campaign generated X dollars of revenue and get answers on upcoming strategy rate packages and event spend. Um, that only took me 38 seconds. I think I probably oh nailed it. So if I need to elaborate on it, I can, but make sure the brains are in the room and you're getting the questions you need answered and you'll get so much buy-in. Wow. I was hoping to hear the buzzer again, but you just destroyed my whole, se- my whole segment. I usually fail. <laughs> That was phenomenal. Sorry, good Pete. job. No, that's awesome. That was a good job. And Thank it's you. A, it's a great tip because you know we we sit in in our meetings, we talk about marketing, and you know we come up with these great strategies. But if you don't have the buy in from the C suite, you're not going to get too far. And even if you do, you're going to be constantly battling proving your existence and why it's so important. Absolutely. I I love this. You know, focus on it on the onset and and go from there. This is fantastic. Yeah, and I've deployed programs like this at two organizations that I've worked with, um, and it's made a night and day difference because you're not, it's not just your marketing meeting. That's not the headspace that everybody's in. They're not just like, what's this pretty marketing thing going to do? You're in that revenue headspace. You're thinking about need periods. You're thinking about rate strategy. You're thinking about rate programming. 
And when you have marketing take up the first little bit of that, you get to sit on and understand the rate strategy and where everybody's head is at. And you don't have to send 67 follow-up emails to get buy-in for this one rate package you want to run. Everybody's in the room who can say yes on a thing. So you talk about your performance. People are like, oh, great. Yay. They're talking about that they have been having a hard time with leisure. And you say, oh, we just increased the direct booking conversion rate for our website by 2% quarter over quarter. And it was con- this was contributing directly to leisure bonus. So yeah, highly recommend. That's what Perfect. I would do. And it's also breaking down those silos between all the different areas when you have mm-hmm. the marketing discussion in your overall meetings. Uh, you know, we, we talked about this a lot is there's so many things that the marketer doesn't know if they stay locked up in their little marketing tower, you know, get out, see what operations are, is worried about, see what other people at the property are worried about, what revenue management is concerned about and address all those problems. You know, I mean, from a marketer's perspective, your guest is your customer, but the hotel is also your customer too. If you think of yourself almost as an independent Absolutely. operator, you need to make sure that your revenue manager is happy. You need to make sure your F&B is happy operations, everyone else, because you're the one that's going to be the liaison between the guest and the, and the property. So, or at least you're the one who has Absolutely. to deal with the, the fallout on Facebook. If, if it all goes <laughs> Exactly. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that was a fantastic 60 seconds to success. Uh, we're going to move into the main topic of the show today, which is building a digital marketing strategy from ground zero. You ready to jump in? I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Kind of kick everything off. So, you know, one of the things that I've always found is that it's easy to continue a marketing campaign. And you brought a great idea to us that, you know, just like sports, you know, if you have trouble or you're just getting started, the place you begin is the fundamentals, making sure that you are able to build a great marketing strategy from the ground up. And if you're having trouble, still going back to that and say, okay, what can I do to make my marketing effective if I were starting from scratch? So that's really where you come in. Uh, like you said, you have over 50 properties with first. Hospitality, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you definitely yes, have the experience. Uh, and you had a great idea of talking about building from ground zero. So how do we do that? I mean, if, if I'm a new hotel, I don't even know where to begin. I have operations issues, yeah. housekeeping issues, and now you want me to deal with marketing. I yep. think that's too much. What do I do? Yeah, it's really challenging. And, and I really empathize with that. I've been in the industry for 15 years and I started in operations. So I that is the core and heart of why I'm in the industry is that interpersonal reaction or interpersonal interaction with my guests. Um, and so I, I know how hard it is to be working the desk when you've got, when you just worked a double back to back double because you had a night auditor call out and you are having a you know meeting check out late and weddings check in early. I, I get that. I understand that. So please know that I'm coming from this understanding that it is hard to operate a hotel and adding marketing on top of it is just an additional, oh no, level. (laughs) Um, So for those of you out there who have a marketing team available to you, awesome. Leverage them, use their brains, let them be your voice, collaborate with them. And I just also want to point out that ground zero can look different for everybody. So ground zero could mean you're literally starting a hotel from the ground up. There's a hole in the ground and a hotel will be there and you're starting that marketing from there. Ground zero for us oftentimes looks like coming into an existing operation and you're like, wow, there's so much going on. I don't even know where to get started. And sometimes it means you're going through a rebranding. It could mean that you're new to the project or you're new to the portfolio. So ground zero can be different for everybody. And so all of these tools can be applied 
regardless of what ground zero looks like for you. And so I'm a dual hemisphere brain person. I'm very data oriented, but I'm also super creative. So this is a visual process for me. I think about it in a quadrant and it's literally in my brain, a square broken out into four smaller squares. And in order to get my hands wrapped around everything, I'm focusing on one quadrant first. And on one axis of the quadrant is owned and third party. So who owns the content? And on the other axis is digital and traditional. And so I'm always going to go to what do I have full authoritative control over first? And that is digital because it has a wider reach. And then how do I move on from there? Are there traditional components I can add to that that I own? And then when I move into the third party space, places I don't own, uh, how do I build from there? So I'll quickly define for you, Pete, what um, owned versus third party means. And very simply, owned is a place where I have all the control to do everything I want to. So this could be things like my website, it could be my loyalty program, it could be my email marketing list if I'm an independent hotel or a restaurant. Um, and third party is things that I don't own. So this is somebody else's email marketing list. This is any social media site you're on. As we've seen over the last couple of years, you can get kicked off of Facebook. You can get kicked off of Instagram and all of that content is no longer available to you. And you don't own those customers. They belong to somebody else. They're not yours natively. Um, and then of course, any of the normal media or ad spend that we do, we don't actually own those platforms either. So that's our difference between owned and third party. And then to break it down for those of you who might not know, digital and traditional, of course, digital, I sort of think of as anything that happens on the computer and traditional, I think of as anything that happens off of the computer. And there are a lot of those that overlap. So there are a few, like a lot of those magazine ads that we do, or things like this podcast, even um, where you might be, there are some radio shows that are broadcast as podcasts as well. And so that might be traditional media of radio. And they also have a, a digital component. TV might be another one where you might do a TV advertisement, but it also plays in the program on YouTube. And that might be a digital versus traditional. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that that can get broken down. Um, advertisements are very similar if you're doing a magazine and they have a digital distribution that sort of transcends both of those. So that breaks down owned and third party and digital and traditional. And I always start owned and digital first. And I love the fact that you have, and you have a phenomenal uh, illustration of this, kind of breaking everything down. And I'll have that in the in the show notes for everyone to reference as well. I love the fact that you have your social presence as third party, and I think everybody forgets. Mm -hmm. and, and you you alluded to it as well, where you forget that you're on Facebook. You're in Facebook's conversion funnel. Facebook's conversion funnel says, "I want ad clicks, and I want to keep people on my platform for longer." So as a hotel, you're using that to move them from Facebook's conversion funnel to your conversion funnel. But if you just completely live on, on Facebook, you could say one thing and you're off. You could get uh, suppressed because you're not boosting your post, which we all learned the hard way several years ago when all of a sudden we realized that mm -hmm. you know, our followers and fans really weren't our followers and fans. We, we cultivated them. But if you want to talk to them again, you have to open up the wallet. So hey, I love the fact that you yeah. have that broken out. Yeah. Because yeah, bu building that email database and your own loyalty programs is the only way you'll ever have a direct true line of communication. I guess, unless you want to count direct mail to, to your customer. 
Yeah, and it's important to remember also that for those of you who are working within the branded ecosystem, even things like your hotel website, you don't actually own Hilton, Marriott, IHG, Choice, Wyndham, whoever you're working with, they actually own that content. Um, so that adds a little bit of a confounding variable there as well. What do you actually have control over? For those of you who are out there who have gone from a branded ecosystem and then rebranded to another hotel or gone independent or moved from independent to a brand or whatever, those transitions, you realize how precious those databases are when you're like, oh, wait, I don't own that. That's not mine. It's going away with the brand. So mm -hmm. it's really important to be really clear about what do you actually have control over and what do you not. And this is sort of a psychological piece of it is like your circle of control and your circle of influence. Focus on what you have control over first and then influence what you can outside of that. And you can't go and you can't, it's harder to go in reverse order. It's harder to say, I'm going to deploy this paid media campaign and throw all this money at it. And then you don't have the systems in place to deal with that traffic when it comes in or whatever the case might be. So yeah, it's, it's um, once you really start parsing out what you actually have control over, you realize that it's a um, significantly decreasing slot, spot of land in the digital ecosystem or just the ecosystem generally. Very true. So, so that brings us kind of from the digital side, but then there's a whole other side to this equation, which is the traditional side. What, what do hotels need to be thinking mm -hmm. about when they start their, their quest to build a great marketing strategy? Yeah. So one of the first things that I think of again is um, again, where we have direct control in the traditional space. And first and foremost, you control the four or eight or however many walls you have in your hotel. The space within the walls of your hotel is yours to control usually, right? Unless you have really weird restrictions from your, I don't know, ownership relationship or you're cohabitating with the building with another business or whatever, generally those room spaces and those public spaces are yours to control. So I really think about in-house display advertisements and a traditional area of marketing adjacent. Uh, you'll notice if you see this in the show notes that it's highlighted in yellow because it's part of a different discipline, but also an area that we support really heavily is your marketing team and activities that you're doing space activations on property. So this could be if you're a branded property, perhaps you're you're an embassy, this is your evening reception, right? So this is, you control that space wholly. That whole narrative is yours to control. You have some brand parameters around it, but what your sales team says, the collateral that they share, you can, you can do with as you wish. So leverage those first before you move off from there. Um, we've done a lot, First Hospitality has over the years, uh, particularly when we have things like an in-house restaurant that we're promoting, elevator door skins. Those are really not that expensive. It's a really nice visual piece. You can make it work really well with the branding of your property. There are a lot of, um, there's a, a little bit more freedom if you are in a branded ecosystem with how those look, as long as you're sticking within your brand requirements. And so there's a lot of authority there to be able to get in front of your guests while they're a captive audience. So um, those are some of the traditional and own spaces that uh, I focus on first before we really start looking at um, outside things. And, and part of that is because you've got a customer in-house now. How do you build that customer lifetime value? And how do you look at total 
hotel revenue and not just room night revenue? Is there something mm-hmm. else you can do? Is there an upgrade that you can do if, if let's say you don't have a food and beverage outlet? Um, do you want to promote your direct booking incentive in the hotel so that they convert the next time? Do you do something while they're there on site to say, if you book for your future vacation, you'll get an extra $10 or whatever. We'll send an amenity to your room. You get a high five from Santa Claus at mm-hmm. Christmas time, whatever you want it to be. Is there a way that you can drive that additional revenue with the customers who have chosen to stay with you this time? I love that. And yeah, I love, love that because I know we always talk about it on the show here is the moment that a customer steps foot on your property is the moment you have to begin selling your next stay. You know, you've already locked them down mm-hmm. for this time. So give them that experience and which hotels are always, they, they're good for creating great experience. That's what we're in the business of. But what we're not in the business of, or at least we don't do a very good job of, is asking for that next sale while they're there. And you'd be shocked, especially mm-hmm. with the the rise in ADR and the limit on availability, more and more people are eager to go ahead and lock in, particularly from a vacation perspective, lock in their next day or at least join that loyalty program so that they're ready to when when the time comes. Yeah. And from an operations perspective, when you've built a really close relationship, you're going back to see your friends again, right? So like you're, remember that part of this traditional onsite marketing is also and that sales team is your your desk agents, your housekeepers. They're part of that sales team as well. And if they're like, hey, Pete, it's been so great to spend time with you. I'm so glad you had a good time. Make sure you tell your cat that we said hello. And when are we going to see you again? Right? Like I had relationships yeah. with guests like that for years. They, you might not see them for six months, but you know that they're going to come back and they're going to remember you and you're going to remember them. And you'll have you'll catch up like old friends you haven't seen in a while. So there's a there's a great way to capitalize that as well. It, it, it's so true. It, it you know, I think hotels get locked into the the business of being in a hotel versus just the, you know, the fun, whimsical, you know, hey, how's it mm-hmm. going? You know, good seeing you, Emily. It's, it's so good to see you again after so many years to create that relationship because that's the reason that people choose your hotel in most cases. They're not coming for a bed typically. They're doing something in your location Absolutely. and you want to make yourself stand out a little bit more. Well, perfect. So, so let's jump into... I guess this is quadrant four going to the uh, third party traditional. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, for third party traditional, well, so I'll take, I'll take a quick step back and third party digital. Obviously we, we talked on, uh, talked it very briefly, but again, when we're talking about offsite booking engine and listings, one of the areas that once my website is good to go, I'm going and looking at Google booking, TripAdvisor, Expedia, all that stuff. And please make no mistake. I drive direct booking conversions. That is a goal. Our portfolio currently has 150% share of direct convert direct booking conversions in our markets. And that has been a very strategic goal. I want to spend less money per reservation to make more money at the end of the day. Um, but that means that you have to have really robust, compelling content on all of your other listings. And your booking engine has to be right. If you have information about a shuttle or breakfast services on those outside listings and it's not reflected on your website or worse, it contradicts, you're not going to get that booking. People are going to go through the area where they said, oh, well, well, when I booked on Expedia, it said blah, blah, blah. And now it's in my confirmation email, C. And so they're going to choose whatever has the most favorable accommodations or favorable amenities that that they need and are listed for them. So you need to make sure that there's uniformity across all of that um, before and before you go off and do other things. So that so just does, touches on the third party digital. 
so how do you handle that in terms of, because we see it all the time too, where you're saying one thing, but from a meta perspective and from an OTA perspective, eh, it's a little bit different. Do you guys typically yeah. look at that as the, the marketing strategy? Is that operations or kind of how, how does that audit take place? Yeah, so that's a great question. And audit is exactly the word that I would use for it. Um, I've worked really diligently with our amazing marketing team and we've standardized it. So we pick a channel every month and every single month, the entire portfolio is getting audited on that particular channel. So as an example, Google My Business is our focus this month. Now there are always gonna be anomalies when the COVID-19 uh, parameters came up and that was available. We made that a priority and went in and did that. Um, the same is so when we've had various green initiatives or sustainability initiatives, when the LGBTQIA uh, travel opportunity came up with booking.com, we made that a priority. So you might shift those around, but it allows us to see across the portfolio what's working for some hotels and what isn't. So who is positioned well in their market and why? And is there are there any efficiencies there that we can pull across the entire portfolio? So this is another tip if, if there's a takeaway that you can take from this, aside from this visual representation of where to start. When you're looking at auditing a lot of those other listings, it can feel very overwhelming. Pick a month, pick a channel, and focus on that. And then the next month, do another channel and focus on that. And you'll once by the time you circle back around, you'll be at a, you'll have gotten back to solid ground. You'll be out of the hole and on solid ground. And then it's just a little work and little touch up as you go. So we now have a shuttle that goes within a 20 mile radius instead of just a five mile radius. And so we'll go in and update that. Our parking is now 36 instead of 26. And it's easy to go in and update just that one parameter as opposed to having to go, whoa, 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 there's a lot of weird stuff here that we need to fix. So pick so, a month, pick a channel, and get through all your third parties as you go. So you have definitely are auditing your channels frequently. How often do you do an audit? Absolutely. Where, how often do you do an audit where nothing needs to get fixed? Never. There's never a time yeah. where there's an audit that nothing needs to get fixed. Yeah. Because the challenge is that on a lot of those listings, guests have the opportunity to like, is this right? And if enough people say yes, and that could just be a piece of misinformation, then it gets changed on that listing. And mm -hmm. the all of the listings, so when I say third-party listings, I don't just mean like third-party booking engines. I mean any listing of your hotel that's not your website. So yeah. Google, TripAdvisor, Expedia, Booking.com, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's never, they are always updating the parameters to be more receptive to the needs of travelers they are, there are new amenities that become available all of the time. And so sometimes it's just, oh, we have this and they didn't have this check feature available before. So now we just mm -hmm. need to check that box. It's yep. as simple as that. So yeah, there's really never been a time where we've gone through and been like, good, nothing to yeah. change here <laughs> yeah. because it's always, can you do a little bit more to make it a little bit better? It yep. might be, oh, we looked at this listing and maybe we don't have to change any of the content, but maybe we reposition it. Maybe we're going to this quarter or the rest of the year, we really want to focus on the weather's been terrible. Storms are coming. It's getting to summer here in Florida. It's going to be a lot of rain. Maybe we move the sentence about the shuttle up a little bit higher, or maybe we change it from the interior room photo or interior lobby photo to the exterior pool photo during summer when we know what we're going to have a lot of leisure travel. So it's not always about something's wrong and I need to fix it. It's about something is fine, but can I make it better? Great point. All right. So 
So we've covered a whole bunch. What else should we think about when we're building out our, our marketing strategy? I think the final quadrant would be the traditional third party. So um, this is both any in-person things that you're doing or traditional media. So this could be things like your conference and trade show attendance. How are you appearing in those spaces? Are your, do you have pop-up banners? Do you have tablecloths for your sales team? Um, have you gone out to those travel agents and had discussion with them about the current offerings at your properties? Is there, do they have a book that has print material about all of their hotels? We've certainly gone to the brands and their reservation systems and having a one-sheeter with information about the hotel has been revolutionary for them. And some of them just still literally have a paper binder that they flip through that they keep on their desk that has all that information. So sometimes something as simple as that can make a big difference panel discussions, keynote speeches, when you're going to present to the college for Castell at college in person, those are all marketing and sales opportunities and you can't squander them. You have to recognize them for what they are. Um, and then of course, billboards and traditional print advertisements, flyers at the local community center. Those are all things that I like to focus on as well. Can you add a digital component to them, right? I really like where you can build synergies. QR codes are a great example of that. Um, you might have a print piece, but perhaps you have a QR code that goes to a virtual tour of your property or a QR code that has a tracking link that shows when somebody submits a request for a proposal from that print material. Even with a billboard ad, maybe you have a QR code that goes directly to your booking engine and it's a tracking link. Anytime I can get extra analytics, that half of my brain is very happy. So <laughs> if we can build synergies there, I would. We have a saying at ABT, which is always be testing. And yeah, that's definitely yes. right in that wheelhouse. And I, I like the, the fact about the, the panel discussions and keynotes. We had a the first HSMAI live event for our Carolina chapter on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And the topic was you know, using partnerships and your local relationships to, to amplify your marketing efforts. And I think that's one of the areas that, again, hoteliers forget is they're always thinking outward of their market to bring people in that inside the market, you have your CVB, you have your chamber, you have your large groups, your you know, whomever it might be, creating those relationships, even if it's a non-accommodation, if it's just a an event venue or a great restaurant, you know, create those local relationships because that word of mouth and being top of mind, if you know, your, your CVB's group sales director you just had a meeting with them and then they met with a group coming in. That's a great opportunity for you to really fill your occupancy needs. Absolutely. And this was brought up at the Hunter Hotel Investment Conference um, I was at last week. And there was a really, really lovely data panel discussion um, that was presented by STR and um, Calibri Labs. And they were talking about the BT recovery that we're hoping to see will actualize eventually there, it's actually the majority of what's driving it right now is not those national BT accounts. It's more of those local small business BT accounts. Like they have a small office here and there's 11 people that travel throughout the year as opposed to, you know, the IBMs and things like that that are traveling all year, every year with hundreds and hundreds of travelers. A lot of those large organizations are, are just now starting to like really let travel happen again. But it's been those really small businesses in your local market that are getting out there on the road. And so you're missing out on an opportunity to be part of that BT recovery by nurturing those local relationships. And then from a leisure perspective, certainly here in Florida, in-state travel 
has been a huge, huge driver of revenue this year. Mm -hmm. um, I was just at the HSMAI Awards last night, the Adrian Awards down at the lovely Boca Raton Resort in Boca. And um, they were talking about the uh, the Sanibel Island and all that stuff. They had a really nice campaign last year targeted to in Florida residents about, um, I forget the catchphrase for the campaign. So you'll have to find it. It was a really nice campaign. Um, but it was about Paradise is Waiting, Paradise Coast, I think. Anyway, they're a local CVB and a lot of their um, travel and tourism and hospitality organizations did a campaign that primarily targeted in Florida residents with like key feeder markets. And our travel, in-state travel was up year over year exponentially. And these have been the two busiest years really that a lot of coastal hotels have had. Um, which you wouldn't think because the pandemic has been going on, but it's been driven a lot by in-state travel mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, for all of those reasons and above local relationships. Yep. It, as we see, you know, we, we, I sent out a survey actually today, hopefully we'll be talking about in, on a podcast in the next week or so about the increase in gas prices and rising travel costs, how that's going to impact leisure travel. And it's something to consider. You know, mm -hmm. I think people's radius that they determine where they want to visit is going to shrink a little bit as, as prices go up. Uh, it's not just gas prices. It's also going to be figure that translates directly to airfare prices as well. So, you know, those drive markets and those closer in destinations, depending on where you're located at, could be, be a real boom for you. Absolutely. All right. So I had a couple of questions for you kind of based on, on your matrix here. So, and, and this is yeah. one that we get a lot. So if I am a new hotel, and I have nothing going yet. What, where do I start? I mean, like, what is the, the very first thing that I do? And like, it, I guess trying to the best way of saying it is like, you know, where should I start investing my money? Is there a percentage target I should go for? Or is it going to be just, I just need to do everything and I just got to, you know, take some, you know, caffeine pills and just get to work. <laughs> Well, I actually just worked on a pre-opening hotel budget uh, this week for a potential tapestry collection property. Um, and and it's not as easy as saying, oh yeah, spend $300,000 in the six months pre-opening and you'll ramp to 100% ADR in 120 days and you'll be fine. That's not how it works, unfortunately. So there are some factors I consider when making that determination. First and foremost, what's your market like? If you're a primary market, it is likely extremely competitive. If you're in New York or Chicago or Dallas or LA or Miami, the spend in your markets is really high. And there are likely a lot of hotels and specifically independent hotels who have huge marketing spends in addition to brands that you're going to be competing with. So that will likely increase the amount of money that you would need to spend um, and mean that you'll have to be more creative in your campaigns. I'm going to take a quick step back. Hire a smart marketer is your first step. <laughs> Hire a smart marketer or a great operations management company like First Hospitality, or if you are an operator and you're getting into a hotel that you don't understand, see if you can leverage some of the other marketing agencies that are out there, like Travel Boom and all these other great organizations that are out there with really great insights and data that can help inform these decisions for you. It, it, is, it is okay to phone a friend. This is mm -hmm. not who wants to be a millionaire you can phone a friend. It is okay. As many times as you need to. It's perfectly fine. 
Um, so I focus on the brand and, or, and next, after I've looked at the market, I look at the brand. If you're working with one of the major brands, they likely have, first of all, regulations of what you can and can't do from a marketing perspective. Can you have a vanity website or not? Do you have to come up with your own branding or not? Have they decided what collateral you need to use for your sales kits or not? And that will help inform how much you need to spend. Mm -hmm. I also then look at um, the property complexity. So do I have an F&B component? Do I have meeting space? Do I have a rooftop bar? Um, Am I attached to a convention center? All of those things mean added complexity means added cost, right? There's more opportunity for me to drive revenue from a total hotel perspective or total property perspective. So that means I might need to spend a little bit more to be able to drive that revenue. And then finally, the last two pieces I look at is the room count and your uh, target ADR. So we've, for any marketer who works for a hotel has likely been in the situation where an owner comes to you and says, oh, we're going to get 250 a night as our average daily rate. And you're like, uh... The market is at like a 125 ADR and there's no business in the area that's going to sustain that. So don't know how we're going to get 250 a night. Um, So you will likely at some point, and if you haven't yet, I'm so excited for you. um, (laughs) But if you haven't yet dealt with an owner who has very optimistic goals for average daily rate, this is one of the areas where I focus on. If we have a very aggressive ADR um, and we've got low or high room count, whatever the case might be, it might cost us a little bit more to highly target the travelers that want to pay that amount of money. So particularly with things like our lifestyle properties, I've worked with lifestyle hotels that have been awesome that were targeted because of what the market had, but they needed to target to luxury travelers. And so that Mm -hmm. might cost a little bit more to get in the inbox or in the pocket of the person that you want to have staying there. Who is your like ideal customer And how do you get to them? And it might cost you a little bit more money, but worth it in the long run. So if there's a really simple matrix I can think of, it's like, what's your ADR and how many many rooms do you have? And perhaps take that ADR and there might be a multiple of that. So like 10 times your ADR per room is roughly what you could throw at a wall if you needed to give like a general number of what you might need to spend in pre-opening. But that's all super rough. So again, work with a really smart person who can help boil all of that down for you. But that's generally how I look at it and how our teams look at it when we're, we do these things all the time, market analyses and whatever. And those are the key areas of information that we're looking for when we're making those decisions. Perfect. That makes a lot of sense. Um, all right. So next question is, and this one's more about the independent hotels versus flag properties. So an independent hotel, they have a ton of flexibilities to try new strategies, but the flags are going to be pretty limited in what they're able to do. What would you recommend to say, if I'm a manager of a flag property, how can I help drive bookings when I don't have PPC? I don't have organic search really. And I don't have my own website. Maybe I have my own social that's dependent on brand, right? But what, what, what do I do as a manager? Yeah, so I I always try to focus on brand recognition first because that'll drive everything else. So if you have a if you're stuck in a branded website and you don't have any opportunities there, leverage the brand resources first and foremost. It's still even though you don't own it, it's still the the closest you can get to the information about your hotel. So man, have good photos. Can you do multimedia content? We're working with a really great partner that does 
um, a virtual selling tool and there's 3D and 360 content. We can include all of our PDFs in there, video content, still photography, really anything that we want in there. And there's opportunities to link that on the brand site. It's like one place per hotel, but it's a place to include multimedia content. So how do you differentiate yourself in that brand ecosystem? A lot of the brands are starting to focus again on marketing. So Hilton's e-commerce consulting group and Marriott's field marketing sort of got all shaken up during the pandemic, but they are really starting to focus on that again. So are there any brand resources that you can leverage to make sure that you're positioning yourself well for the brand? And then um, again, I look at those third-party listings as well. How are my photos? Are my amenities listed appropriately? If your content scores under 98% on those third-party sites, uh, specifically here, I'm talking about expediantbooking.com. That's a problem because mm -hmm. you need to be listed there high. Um, do you have the best photos that you can on Google and TripAdvisor and all those other listings? So um, I focus on, on those things first. Again, how do you leverage those brand resources? How do you make sure that you're driving direct booking conversion by making sure all of your other listings are pointing back to that brand.com site really well? Um, and then how are you driving ADR? So are, are there, is there any packaging that you need to be doing with the team? Some of the brands allow you to do some interesting stuff with offers on their pages and some of them don't. So that just depends on how they allow you to list those on their site. So it still goes back to those core fundamentals. Leverage the brand ecosystem wherever possible. Make sure that all those third-party listings are fully, fully optimized. And then how do you do, how do you drive additional ADR? What value adds can you have and, and things can you improve there? So if you're stuck within that ecosystem, it's nice because you know what your boundaries are and you know what your parameters are and, and you can work within that. You don't have to, it's not as necessarily as fun because you can't stretch those creative muscles in the same way. Um, but yeah, and then, uh, I'd add to that, which I, I don't have, I don't have in my notes from this discussion, but you mentioned earlier, a really great point about leveraging your local partners. So how are you leveraging your sales and local partner teams to expand the impact of marketing or expand the impact of sales and build those synergies amongst those team members? I love it. I tell you what, I really appreciate your time. This has been so enlightening from my perspective to see it from a, you know, a, a major, property manager and how you guys kind of approach the issue of everything from occupancy and marketing. And, and hopefully our listeners enjoyed it just as much as I have. Uh, well, I got a question for you though. So you've shared so much information with us. We know that it's harder to be a hoteler, hotelier and restaurateur combined than just one, of the, one or the other. Uh, I have one more Absolutely. question for you. Is it harder <laughs> to be a gardener or someone who takes care of chickens? Because you have chickens, right? Oh, I do have chickens. Um, <laughs> I found it harder to be a gardener. Okay. Um, I don't get, I, I actually don't eat all of the eggs that my chickens produce. Um, I would, if I had to choose between having a garden or having chickens, I feel like they go together. Like they really should go together, but I would have chickens. Yeah. It's like the best pet I've ever had. They're just amazing. <laughs> I, I highly recommend if anybody didn't pick up chicken, uh, husbandry as a hobby during the pandemic, reconsider your life choices. It was, it's great. It's a <laughs> so chicken husbandry. Harder, That's what I was trying to figure out. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like a, okay. raising chickens and it was some, I have a, a, several friends who do this as well. And so they hatch and raise and eat and 
make more chickens and they have a lovely cycle and all that. I've just got seven egg laying gals, so yeah. I'm not doing anything fancy, but yeah, I would pick them over gardening and gardening's harder because chickens yeah. are one variety, like, or one breed, like it's, it's a chicken. <clears throat> yeah. So there's like subbreeds. people who are out there who are listening, who are big chicken people are going to be so mad at me saying this, but it's like easy. There's a particular type of food you eat that you give them. They have a particular area that they fill. You get a, a relatively set number of eggs every year. They molt and they have some diseases and whatever, you're fine. There's so many more pests, so many more diseases, so many more growing seasons, so many more issues with gardening. Chickens are way simpler and they talk to you. <laughs> they do. They're actually People very friendly. On your shoulder. <laughs> They're super friendly. Our girls yeah. are, I can't, I can't recommend chickening enough. I, and I'm a, I love gardening. I've been doing it since I was a child, but man, chicken raising just revolutionized my life. I just okay. oh, love it. So yeah. Cause for, for the longest time I was a, a beekeeper and we had a couple hives. And oh to, man. Yeah. So for actually at the beginning of the podcast, we'd always have bee news where you go bee news. And I'd have to explain what was happening with our hives and what was going on. And the listeners were able to go from, me getting bees, raising bees, splitting hives, all the way to the dark days of the wax moth larva, which wiped out both of our hives. Oh no! Yeah, oh, so. that's so devastating. I, I thought I was gonna have bees first, but I don't have an apiary yet, so I'm yeah. gonna have to circle back with you, Pete, when I get to that point and ask all of the questions because that is, I don't know how I got chickens before I got bees, but it happened, and I will never look back and regret it. But I, bees are in my future. I, I think bees are probably harder just because you don't necessarily see what's going on. You have to kind of mm -hmm. look at their behavior and kind of get an understanding of what's happening in the hive because once you open it, you make the bees grumpy and you know they don't like mm -hmm. to be grumpy. So you know, a lot of it is standing back and kind of making sure that their environment is correct without actually seeing you know how it's impacting them in their hive too much. But uh, but yeah, so whenever you need Sounds some, some bees, sounds a little bee bit news, like revenue strategy during the <clears> pandemic. <throat> <laughs> yeah, pretty much is. It stings you. <laughs> so, well, perfect. So, hey, Emily, tell us where we can get more information about First Hospitality and then also tell us how yeah, we can find out about the chicken business with you. Absolutely. So First Hospitality's website is uh, www.firsthospitality.com. And I would not be um, true to my word if I didn't share that we are working on updating our website over this coming year because it is our owned space and we have full control over it. And so we will be doing some revamping to the First Hospitality website. We're also on LinkedIn. And if you have any questions for me about gardening or chicken keeping or marketing or sustainability, or you just want to chat, you can find me at mpendaily.com, E-M-P-E-N-D-A-I-L-E-Y.com. Um, and yeah, our marketing team is awesome. So if I don't know the answer, one of our marketing team members will. And if you're just new in hotel ownership or hotel development, and you have any other questions, please reach out to us. I, I mean this sincerely when I say we work with an amazingly intelligent group of people. So from operations, food and beverage, business development, accounting, people services, it's great. So if you have, oh, and revenue management, oh my gosh, I can't believe I almost forgot my revenue management family. Um, but they're genius people. So please, please reach out if you have any questions at all. Perfect. And, and I think what you said is so true where you reach out and ask questions. I know everybody in our industry, you can tell they work in hospitality because even if they don't know the answer, they're going to bend over backwards to point you into 
to the person that they know that does have the right answer. You know, here at Travel Boom, we're always happy. We'll do research for for people. We'll do, you know, seminars, surveys, whatever it takes to get answers for you know clients and non-clients alike. Because that's just what you need to do when you're part of a part of a community and you want to be a good member of that community. So- Absolutely, and we're lucky having had 37 years in the industry that we've seen it from you know, again, ground up all the way through sales. So any aspect of that, there's somebody here who's got really robust experience in that. So any stage of the business, we're, we're here for you. All right. So in terms of Travel Boom, you can find us at travelboommarketing.com. And if you have any ideas or feedback for the podcast, go to travelboommarketing.com slash podcast. And from there, you can click on feedback and connect with us, give us ideas, or even become a guest if you so are inclined. And that's it. That is another episode of the Hotel Marketing Podcast and Books. But don't worry, we're going to be back next week with a lot of great information, tips, and tricks on how to become a better hotelier. So stay tuned, and we will see you next time. Travel Boom is out. at travelboommarketing.com slash podcast. Uh, and I'm sorry, hang on one second. Can you hear my girls? Mm-hmm. Okay. Speaking of the cat, they uh, apparently the cat got out. <laughs> and it's in the garage and it's a big problem. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to try this again. I'm going to have a little bit of dead space. <laughs>